Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Dr. Cliff Podcast. I have my favorite guest on today, my favorite child. What? <laughs> who has been on the podcast, my daughter Emily. And uh, we are going to name this episode Daddy Needs a New Hip. <laughs> welcome to the Dr. Cliff oh. Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Emily and I are chilling in our basement. We got little Ashley tucked up on the couch between us yeah. and uh, Thalia's like a good big farm dog. She's not a farm dog, but she's uh, pretending to be. She's curled up on the floor by our feet. <laughs> um, I don't know why she doesn't like jumping up on the couch, really. She never really, when she does jump up, she doesn't really get comfortable and, and wants to go back down. But anyways... How are you, Emily? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Good. We just had a wicked vegan, vegetarian, Mexican lunch. Yeah, the all the sugars are rushing to my head, so mm. I definitely feel a little bit slow. Nice. A little, uh, we used to call that PMS, post-meal sleepies. <laughs> or, or we would also call it in school PPLs, the postprandial lethargy. Wow. Yeah. So we would uh, we would always worry about uh, certain classes, uh, especially anesthesiology, which was kind of funny because it would make us go to sleep. And it's anesthesiology. If you had anesthesiology with the professor, Doctor Black, or as we called him, Doctor Blackout, because he was so dull that he would anesthetize us with the sound of his voice. And uh, and if you had it after lunch and you were suffering from PMS or PPL, you would, uh, you would take the, the, the seats way up high in the, uh, in, the, in the upper rafters almost so that you could put your head down and go to sleep. So that's what... Uh, I never did that, though. Of course, I uh, paid attention in class, um, except for maybe theriogenology. What is but that? Theriogenology is the study of Genes. reproductive mechanisms basically so it was like we got to learn by 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 seeing the follicles on the ovaries of the bitch we could tell this is when we're spaying her when she's about to become a non-bitch we could tell uh, (laughs) we could tell if it was like a corpus corpus hemorrhagicum or I can't remember the other names. All the vet students out there are probably just rolling their eyes going, what a, what a knob. So, um, but anyways, you, we would like learn that if you, took, if you took vaginal swabs of intact female dogs and you look at the cells within the, the vaginal canal, you could tell where they are in their heat cycle and when was a perfect time to breed them. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Um, different types of placental sort of organizations like different different uh like for example dogs dogs don't carry their placentas in the body of the uterus i'm really thinking slow here to see if i get this right they don't carry the placenta in the body of the uterus like a woman would a human woman they have many placentas placentae, um, which is why they can have many puppies, and they have it in the horns of the uterus. And their horns, the horns of their uterus are 
are are are sort of the major like 80% of the of the uterus is the horn of the uterus whereas the opposite for the uh, female woman where it's primarily the body of the uterus mm-hmm. um, so things like that and and then there's even certain it's all slowly coming back to me there's certain mammals where their placentas have different blood supplies and connections with the regular blood supply of the body so that certain drugs you know maybe in a person don't cross the blood placental barrier so that the baby is safe from those drugs whereas other mammals they don't have the same blood placental barrier so you have to be careful about which drugs you're giving because it can affect the development of the fetus things like that um and the funny thing is is I, i i learned enough to get by we called it a six O and go class we needed to to graduate and and i did very well in school but I, I selected my courses. I, like I was choosy with which ones were, were sort of more important to me. Um, but to to graduate onto the next year, you had to get sixty percent of you had to get sixty percent average in sixty percent of your courses plus pass every course. So you could get sixty one in six out of the ten courses and fifty one in the other four, and you would still pass. Now I never I never had marks that low. Um, but if it was a course that we weren't that interested in, um, or we just, yeah, we just weren't interested in it, or it wasn't sort of our field of, of future career, we would, some of us would call it a 6-0 and go. Just give me my 6-0 and I'll go. Um, and theriogenology was a little bit like that for me. I was never planning on getting involved with, uh, uh, ultrasound in cattle to look at their their ovaries to determine breeding. Um, I was never worried about, again, sort of uh, working with breeders in the dog community and, and artificially inseminating female dogs and, and things like that. I'm very glad. Yeah, except then the funny thing is, is I ended up working for uh, Dr. Gil Plummer in Nobleton, uh, amazing guy, amazing veterinarian, wonderful mentor and friend. And he had a lot of breeders as clients and he actually did AI and he did semen collection and he was doing C-sections. Now that was cool. I really enjoyed helping out and and started to do my own emergency C-sections, but I I ended up needing that stuff. So uh, he kind of is like, well, you didn't pay attention. So open up the books. You're going to need to know it, Uh, which was fine. So what was your favorite course then? from university oh or one um, of your favorites yeah i mean i i I really enjoyed the medicine i really enjoyed the ologies um so you know it's a one-year pre-vet this is after you do some other university courses but you do one year pre-vet and then four years vet school year one two three four and year two was called the year of the ologies cardiology physiology histology um, you know, uh, all the, and ology means the study of. So if you have cardiology, it's the study of the heart. If you have uh, um, histology, it's the study of histopathology, which is sort of the way diseases process and change the body, things like that. Um, and it was actually that whole year on average was probably everyone's least favorite because you didn't touch the animals you really it was just theory but i kind of nerded out on it i really enjoyed it so i mean that some of the ologies were really really good i don't know i don't know what my favorite was i didn't i didn't have a favorite 
Uh, surgery was cool, but surgery was a different course because you never sat in class. Like it was literally read these couple of chapters and then next week you're spaying a dog, you know? Uh, so, so how, like, how do you guys get practice? Is it on like dogs who have already passed away? Oh, look at that. She's, uh, she's pushing the envelope here. Okay. So back in the day and, uh, ladies and gentlemen who are listening, it is different now, but back in the day, 90% 90% of our class was on the normal anesthesia or normal surgical rotation, including me. And w- meaning we were doing surgery on live patients. Um, and, and a lot of the times they were surgeries that were necessary, but notice how I said a lot of the time, you know, like we were doing spays and we were doing neuters. And if you can do a spay, you can do an exploratory surgery, you can do an intestinal surgery. Um, a, a spay, which is an ovariohysterectomy, you remove the uterus and the ovaries, is actually a, a, a very difficult, or it's a surgery that requires- Skill. Very good skill, yeah. Very good soft tissue handling skills. So it's a really good test of ability. And then these animals would go off and get adopted, right? Like we were doing work for the for the shelters. But there were some dogs that were, um, I can't remember what they called it, but it was basically they would not wake up from the surgery. That was the plan. Like they were, one, we did a spleen removal. And although animals can do a lot better than we can as humans without their spleens, they don't, they don't use it quite the same, to the same extent that we do. There's still some limitations and some medical requirements for keeping an animal that is without its spleen. So we were actually removing the spleen from healthy animals. And unless we had somebody who would adopt them, they would be euthanized at the end. And these were either animals that were going to be euthanized. Emily's so upset here. These are either animals that were going to be euthanized or here's the really tough one. Some of them were bred for the purpose of laboratory study. Um, Like beagles are bred certain lines of beagles are bred for laboratory study and as difficult as that is to imagine and and i would select everything i could that does not involve animal research but it's in a way important because you you guys still need that training to save well yeah well it's not even the veterinarian thing and we'll get into the options now that are available but for example okay like I'm a vegetarian, you're a vegan. Obviously, we don't wear leather. We select products that are cruelty-free, yours to a much sort of better extent than me. Um, and, and we wouldn't want to pick, you know, shampoos that were tested on bunny rabbits to see if it gave them pink eye or, yeah. you know, things like that. But what happens if you're diagnosed with cancer? Are you going to say, I only want a chemotherapy that was never tested on an animal good luck you're gonna die from cancer then to then so we were doing surgery on on animals that were alive and and sometimes they would wake up and sometimes they wouldn't uh and then they were euthanized um but there was a small group that i don't want to say protested but obviously there was a period prior to us that some students protested i'd love to hear from anyone who's listening in the vet world if they know when the this program 
started um, prior to us uh, at the University of Guelph. Um, so it would have been prior to 95 because I was doing surgery. 96, I guess, is when I was in surgical rotation. Um, anyway, so about 10 out of the 100 students didn't do surgery on live animals. They only did surgery on animals that were euthanized due to something else. And then they had to take an additional anesthesiology rotation in their final year. And that's because they preferred to. Yeah, they chose to to okay. not do it, right? And we actually, we called them the deadheads. They were the deadheads because they were part of the deadhead program. I don't know why, well, it's pretty obvious why we called it that, but it wasn't specific to the head. But we would say, oh, so-and-so is part of the deadhead program. Well, now at the University of Guelph, everybody's part of the deadhead program. They do not do surgery on live animals. There is an argument or there is a feeling in the veterinarian world that especially from us old guys and old ladies, if they're my age, um, sort of the old school type, where we are seeing that the newer grads are less comfortable with surgery, less comfortable with anesthesia complications. Right. Um, and we wonder, we, we surmise, we predict, we theorize that it may be for many reasons, but one of them may be that they never had to deal with the stress of an actual beating heart and bleeding body. And, you know, because it wasn't just the anesthesia. So when we did surgery on a, on a, a live patient, uh, it was a, we had a four person surgical team always for the entire semester. And you would rotate surgeon one, two, and three surgeon one would open surgeon two would do the technique surgeon three would close and then person four was the anesthesiologist and you would rotate you know and you'd probably do eight surgeries over the course of the year so you'd end up being each position twice twice yeah sorry twice um it wasn't just learning the technique it was when do you tie off that blood vessel versus just dabbing it with gauze and letting it stop bleeding itself um and even if you know, you can learn how to, you know, take out a uterus, let's say, on an animal that's deceased. The technique is the same, but the uh, consequences obviously are different. And there's, I think there's there's value. I, now, I would be part of the deadhead program if there were the option of one or the other, and I was a student now, knowing what I, you know, versus knowing what I know now versus knowing what I know then, but. There's definitely a difference. I mean, yeah. you know, having that consequence and being able to think and stay calm when the shit's hitting the fan, pardon my French, you know, that's a that's a value. That's something that's important. So, so surgery was a was a big uh, was something I really really enjoyed and something I still really enjoy, um, and uh, you know, uh, something I take pride in. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, anyways, that was a good question. Look at that. We talked for 15 minutes with just you asking about what my favorite course was. <laughs> wow. There you go. Oh, interesting. So, you know, the, uh, topic or the title of this episode is, uh, right. daddy, daddy needs a new hip. Not many people know this. My boys hopefully are going to be listening to this eventually, might be just you three uh, that really listen to this consistently. Um, but as you guys know, I've been dealing with a lot of hip pain. And I've got some hip arthritis on my left side. 
et cetera, et cetera. And we'll just get to the, get to the main part. I did uh, go and see uh, Dr. Frank, who is the guy who did my knee repair, uh, my cruciate and meniscal tears uh, seven odd years ago. And when he looked at my x-rays from 14, 15 months ago, he said, flat out, you need a hip replacement. And I said, yeah, but I'm not on any pain medication. I'm doing fine. You know, I, my mobility's crappy and yes, it hurts, but I'm, I'm coping. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, sooner or later, uh, you're going to need it. So, um, and then I went and got the cortisone shot and that really helped. And then the second time, nine months later, we tried to uh, just do the lubricant shot that didn't really help. So there's, there's been a lot of pain lately. But I mean, it's more mobility. Like I can't put on my sock very easily. I got to sit on the stairs and yeah. pull my foot up with, you oh, know, no. pull my knee. And the, yeah, it's pretty, it's it's hilarious and pathetic and sad and mostly hilarious. Um, but, you know, I'm still, I'm doing all my sports except for running. I, I'm not going to run anymore. But, you know, it's difficult, right? Like most importantly, popping up on the surfboard is a little difficult without that mobility. Um, and, you know, like one of the x-rays they had me do was... I put, I'm standing and I put my heels together with my toes pointed out a little bit. I felt like a ballerina. I bend my knees and I push my knees outwards. Like I open up my mm. hips, kind of like a plie, yep. maybe. But, well, she kept saying, no, no, you need to open them. You need to open them. And I said, I can't. This Story is why I'm life. here. <laughs> like I could barely open up. Oh, like no. it was two fists worth. Wow. Right. And when he looked at the x-ray, he kept going, where's your lateral x-ray? Where's your lat? This is the same x-ray. And I was like, no, those are different x-rays. I just can't open up my legs very well. Um, and uh, so I've got really bad arthritis uh, in my left hip, um, partially because I'm susceptible, maybe with this acetabular impingement, which is kind of like hip dysplasia. But mostly he said, look, the running played a big factor running, you know, uh, marathons for 20 plus years, triathlons, adventure racing, ultra marathons, eventually, where I got up to 50 miles. So 80 K, uh, at one time without rest for people who are wondering, um, uh, that, that played a toll. Uh, and then also the judo and being thrown constantly on my butt, constantly on mm. the side, you know, just that constant trauma, bang, bang, bang um can make a difference and uh he did say you guys do not need to get x-rayed he said there's no there's no value there's no need uh, so it's not a genetic no it's more of a genetic susceptibility okay so you know if you were if you were pounding the pavement like i was then maybe um but uh you really just have to wait until the symptoms show up is what he was saying but he doesn't think it's going to be a problem because he said are there any of your kids do ultra marathon and i was like no i got some that you know they're very active one's a dancer and he's like it's not the same like it's just not the same pounding uh on on the hip specifically anyways so he basically said you need a new hip you need a total hip replacement and so we were talking about it and and he's like look you could wait but like it's hurting and he says the pain from the hip will go away within days wow. after the surgery. The surgical pain will be there. They cut my femur. They put in a spike with this titanium ball, you know, head of the femur. Uh, obviously, there's some soft, there's some muscle damage. They stretch out the muscle a little bit um, to kind of make it tight. 
all these different things. So I'm going to be sore, but the actual pain I'm getting that's very specific to the arthritis, I have bone on bone, apparently like my hip socket is bone, very little cartilage and none at the front. And then my femur is rubbing. There's no space. Like on the x-ray, you can see they're touching. It was the craziest thing on that wow. one section. Anyways, uh, so then we started talking and I said, well, okay, let's just, let's say for argument's sake, I'm going to do this. I, and I've decided today, when can you do it? It's like five weeks. Holy geez. No like way. I was thinking six months, right? I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, so then we started talking and he basically said, uh, uh, I can do it in five weeks. Um, you might be able to go back to work. First of all, he said, look, you could go back to work if you're comfortable going to work and making decisions while you're on narcotics. And he kind of smiled and I was like, yeah, I can't do that. You know, I can't do that. He's like, yeah, I know. He says, but for example, as far as the pain is concerned, he's like, as far as the pain is concerned, if you were allowed to do it on narcotics, uh, or you chose to and just didn't tell anyone. Uh, he's like, I have a, I have a, a, a client who's a little bit older than your, you, you, a patient who had double hip replacement at the same time. Now, he's a lawyer. He went back to work within eight days. And then he's like, how are you with your knee? Because the knee pain, a lot of people find it to be actually pretty similar. I said, well, I was off the codeine in three days, not because it didn't hurt, but because it was messing with me. I I didn't want to eat because it got me constipated and I just didn't like the feeling. And I mm. found that Tylenol and ice was was amazing. Ice especially took the pain away so well uh, with my knee surgery. Uh, and I was back to work within a week. Um, and he kind of chuckled. He's like, okay, you're one of those guys. He's like, look, you might be back to work in two weeks. That's very feasible. Uh, you'll be, you'll be kind of leaning on a crutch and long surgeries might be difficult, but I said, I don't really have the only long surgeries are dentistry is I'm sitting down. Um, you know, even spays and that I can stand for 30 minutes on one leg if I have to, he said, but you have to assume just in case it's four weeks. You might be off for four weeks. And I was like, okay. And then what about sports? And he's like, well, you know, some simple stuff like surfing and biking, you'll be doing in four weeks. Uh, And you'll be doing upper body stuff in two, uh, maybe even faster. Uh, It just depends on bruising and comfort and whatnot. But he's like, I can tell you, you're going to, when you do this, you're going to be wanting to to move as fast as possible. I'm like, yeah. But then I asked him about travel. I was like, look, doc, I'm traveling. I'm traveling as soon as I can. You know what I do. I told him about our aspirations for a TV show. Uh, he said he'd watch it. Uh, hey. he, he was like, that's an amazing idea. Hey, shout out. Ooh, Dr. Frank. I said, look, when we travel, like we go back to India, it's going to be weeks, you know, and it'll be work. Let's argue. Let's say six days a week we're going to be saving animals. And it's 10 hours a day and we're in and out of the ambulance and we're hiking and we're chasing dogs down the street and like, it's, it's hard. And he's like, okay, so it's adventure travel, volunteer stuff. I'm like, yeah, totally. It's like three to four months. Yeah. So three to four months. So I'm like, ah, darn it. 
So I ended up talking to Diego, our producer, and kind of saying, look, you know, there, there is a little bit of movement towards our TV show dream that maybe something will happen six months from now, or maybe a little bit sooner. Who knows? But, you know, is there a reason to wait? And we kind of even joked about it being a part of an episode of me going in and getting, getting hip surgery, which he thought was a great idea. And he said, I'm already sort of the creative juices are flowing thinking about this but it's like just films if you have it done beforehand just film a bunch of stuff you recovering you doing some physio like it'll be it'll still be great uh, a couple of bits you know like two two four or two or four minutes worth of story is all we need is that we're comparing mm-hmm. your surgery to the dog who had a broken leg fixed or something like that right but the big issue is is you know let's say this is a dream but let's say in the late fall, we're traveling, filming a TV show and things go really well. And a month after we film the first episode or a month after we're done filming all whatever episodes, six or eight or 10, they've got it on TV because they'll be editing the first episode while we're filming other stuff, right? If it's a big hit, they may end up saying, hey, this is a big hit. We want you to go out again in a month or two. Now, if I'm having surgery then, it's, we're screwed. So are you getting it done now? I think so. Well, Like, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I am. Um, wow. I spoke with Steph uh, at Apple Creek. Okay. I had a, a, a con- sort great. of a telemedicine with her today. Um, and we just talked about exercises that we can do to strengthen up the support structures such that I can return to to function as fast as possible. Yeah. She did the same thing when I blew out my knee and I knew okay. surgery was coming up. Yeah, and she's it, great. And it's definitely one of the reasons why my knee rehab went as well as it did post-op. Um, and then I would actually have this done by like late May, but I can't find someone to cover for me. And with my associate not doing surgery... And maybe here's a tie-in with our original conversation. It's not something that she enjoys doing uh, or feels comfortable doing. And good honor for recognizing her strengths and things she's interested in and sticking with the stuff she's really good at. But uh, I don't have a surgeon. And if I have to assume I'm gone four weeks, I can't leave my patients without a doctor. So I've talked to a friend of mine who's done some locum with uh, at our clinic. He was uh, Dr. Aran. He worked... Oh, uh, yeah. Back when we were heading to Egypt, um, what, about 14 months ago? Uh, And he can work in July. So now I'm going to reach out to uh, Dr. Frank's receptionist and see if I can book for something late June. So there's no surgery for four or five days. Then there's Canada Day, July 1st. And then Dr. Oran comes in and does surgery like three days a week. I can't imagine why I would wait. Like there's going to be a point if I wait there may be a point where I don't have time to do it and I'm going to wish I did it. Yeah. Um, and you recovering properly and having that time is more important, right? Then. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, you also wouldn't want to potentially miss out on opportunities later. That's a big thing. And I was worried about, I actually reached when I, when I spoke to our producer, I was like, look, is there any possibility this is going to screw up plans? Um, you know, if I have surgery and let's say I have surgery in, in late June, I was talking to late May with him, but if I have surgery late June, I'm not really ready to 
travel until uh, basically late September. He said, there's no way we're getting a TV deal by then. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it's going to take a while. And even if we were doing traveling for some miraculous reason, we wouldn't be because it's COVID. So. That's exactly another thing. <laughs> now we can't travel and there may come a time where I want to. Yeah. And, and well, I, I, there will come a time where I want to travel. So, um, yeah, so now's, now's kind of the time. So uh, I, I, mean, I literally, before wow. you came today... I was on the phone listening to the long message. This is a very long message at Dr. Frank's office on his answering machine. But all these different things. You just got to wait. And there's no way of like press press star to skip this. Um, June is very particular that she does not want anyone to miss what she has to say. Because it is very important. But I was literally going to leave a message and say, hey, I was talking to Dr. Frank. I was in there last week. Da, 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 two days ago. Give me some dates for the last the last seven to ten days of uh, of June. So, we got to see, but yeah, I think it's going to happen. That's crazy. And most importantly, there's not much surfing in the summertime. <laughs> so, I won't miss out on anything. Wow. Yeah. Wow, so soon. Yeah, I'll be getting it right before my 48th I birthday. I was going to say, July is when your birthday is. That's not a good time. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I'll either be significantly recovered because it'll be a three-week mark by then. Or I'll still be enjoying some uh, pharmaceutical adventures, induced yeah, adventures. Yeah, and between that and Vasos baking or my baking, some yeah. nice yummy cake, you'll be good. <laughs> you'll be all yeah, set to yeah. I'll eat after the surgery. Before the surgery, I'm going to, a couple of pounds I want to lose. Uh, one, it's just safer. It's just healthier on the heart. And I know I'm going to put on a couple of pounds afterwards. But I want to, I mean, I'm going to totally nerd out and eat super clean for the four weeks prior to the surgery, whenever it's booked and really like kind of grease up my heart vessels. You know what I mean? Like get rid of any cholesterol that might be in my body, uh, maybe inject some olive oil into my veins. I'm not sure, but uh, I'm really going to maximize the foundation of my body, my healing, my strength, uh, my function so that you know, the two steps back that all of those systems take after a major surgery like this uh, is not that big of a deal because I would have uh, sort of maximized them as much as possible. Are you at all nervous? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I am um, nervous. Look, here's so the one big risk um, is 3% of all patients develop uh, what are called PEs, pulmonary embolisms. So blood or fat clots from the surgical site that end up getting lodged in your lungs. So all patients, regardless of their risks, their co comorbidities, they're called, uh, go on three weeks of blood thinners uh, after surgery. Okay. And so I'm talking to him like seriously, like 3% because he was actually talking to another patient before me and I couldn't help but listen uh, and this gentleman before me needed both hips done, had heart disease, two stents, was like 50 pounds overweight, was on heart medication, cholesterol medication, high blood pressure, like all these things. And Ugh, him, he basically wow. said, we're only doing one. I don't care how bad both, like both need it. We will do one now. We'll do another one in a year. There's no anesthesiologist that will that will agree to put you under for a double surgery for the length of time. But anyways, um, I, I saw like, seriously, like 3% for all of us. He's like, yeah, he's like, that's across the board. You know, the gentleman before you, yes, he's a higher risk. 
you're a lower risk. But you have to assume that is going to be the assumption. And that, that would be fatal. Oh, no, no. No, it could okay. be Ooh. if it's not. Yeah. I was oh, like, no. If I was it was like a 3% chance of death, I'm not. 3% chance of death, I'm not doing it. There's no way. That's, I'm not that's even on pain confused. meds. I was like, huh. Um, but, but they are very serious okay. complications. And, and, and I even said 3% including the blood thinners. He's like, yeah, 3% including the blood thinners. So pulmonary embolisms are dangerous and they're very painful. I don't know exactly what the the sort of fatality rate is of the surgery. It can't be that high or else we would have heard about it. Yeah. Like so many people we've talked yeah, to are just like, do it, do it, just do it, just do it. And and you hear about 80-year-olds going in and getting doubles done and, and whatnot. And then they get their knee done and then their other knee. And like all these surgeries come with these types of complications because of the, the, the way the joint system works. Um, so it just means that, but that is a complication. Having a pulmonary embolism, even if it's just cleared with just some additional medication to, to dilate the vessel a bit, it's still a complication. So you just have to be careful. How does, so how does something like that develop? Like you were saying because of like the, the way the joints work. So acetabular impingement is where there is a narrowing of the space. Yes. Um, so just the, the socket portion of the ball and socket joint is a little bit skewed. Okay. Um, if that was all that I had and I wasn't an ultra marathon runner and a, a judo guy, especially when I got thrown more than through, <laughs> uh, I trained a lot. That's what it was. And, and you got to let your partner throw you. Um, sure, sure. Well, you actually do it over and over. <laughs> Call Uchikomis over and over and over and over. Yeah. Just slam to the ground, slam to the ground, slam to the ground, slam to the ground. If I hadn't have done all those things, maybe I would have had the same problem when I'm 70 or 80, as do many people. But the fact that I put so much pounding into my joints and I had this slightly dysfunctional or imbalanced musculoskeletal system, then it, it resulted in in bone-on-bone trauma over and over and over again, which wears away at the cartilage and develops these bony nodules called osteophytes uh, and basically degenerative joint disease. So... Daddy needs a new hip. But I mean, um, specifically when it comes to the blood clotting. Oh, the blood clotting. So um, I don't know exactly. Well, so basically you're going to form blood clots. Yeah. And the body and and my understanding is and, and I'm I'm kind of theorizing here, but because the the joint is no longer lubricated. There's no longer a joint capsule. It's not a bone with its own sort of blood supply. It is something it foreign. Is, it is foreign. It is it, it's basically titanium and plastic. And the plastic is a type of plastic. She's making this uh, scrunchy nose <laughs> Microplastics, face. Microplastics. Microplastics. <laughs> uh, sea conspiracy. Sea spiracy. Yeah, sea spiracy. Sea spiracy. I only got through the first 10 minutes. You didn't, I, you didn't finish? I'm not enjoying it. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Anyways, so, so you have these clots form, which are normal. But then there's the, the, the system that used to be in place for getting rid of those clots no longer exists. So the clots, 
they float, they go somewhere and there's a possibility that they can hit your lungs. So I'm wondering why this doesn't happen when you're doing surgeries in animals. It probably does if you're doing hip. It's specific for joint replacement, I believe. Okay. Right? Like it's specific when you're when you're replacing a a puzzle matrix joint like that that's got joint fluid and it's and the com- it's the complex nature of the actual thing that you're replacing versus oh I'm fixing a ligament or right. oh I'm right yeah okay right I'm I'm removing the uterus I'm removing yeah. a tumor I'm opening up the intestines taking out a bone closing up the intestines you're not removing and replacing something with something foreign you're just removing you're either removing it as a tumor it's the uterus it's the eye it's something like that or you're just adding a like structural support like in the sake of uh repairing a um acl repairing an acl repairing a cruciate thank you um so so it's different you know it's different now maybe i'll ask my friend dr john actually who's an orthopedic surgeon well all, all around surgeon but he's a specialist uh for dogs and cats um et cetera, et cetera. and uh, he does hip replacements uh wow. on dogs so i'll uh, i'll have to ask him if that is a uh, if that is a risk um there also may be humans may be more hypercoagulable um <laughs> so that means they clot easier oh, okay um or they 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 respond too extremely uh and form these clots so it's it's hard to say so that's that's the update uh i loved surgery i was not part of the deadhead program i am going to become a patient myself i'm going to need some drugs and some time off it'll be interesting to see what my instagram posts are like i was gonna say Uh, everyone follow us on instagram oh and check out my patreon page patreon.com slash drcliff yeah i got one patron i got one supporter who's paying five dollars a month to help see behind the scenes footage what a generous person and she films it herself and she's still paying money to see it because it's my daughter emily anyways maybe she is my favorite child who comes on this podcast (laughs) other than that uh, we're still pushing the tv show thing so you sorry very quickly you're not nervous for the actual surgery you're more nervous for the risks associated after the fact yeah so you asked me if i was nervous i'm i i was nervous i am nervous i mean anyone's going to be nervous i'm not nervous about the pain i'm not nervous about the recovery i'm i'm going to be annoyed by what i can't do for a period of time like i was nervous when i think about these clots and then i was like well wait a minute like people's grandmas go and get this done (laughs) and and we're not hearing about them like Oh, you know, one in a hundred die. Like, no, it's probably like one in 20,000, you know, if, if anyone knows what those numbers are, please tell me unless they're really, really great. No, even if they're really bad, I want to know, uh, cause then maybe (laughs) I won't get it done. Um, I wonder what the treatment is for the, the blood clots, more blood thinners. Uh, they'll probably give you vasodilators. So things that open up the blood vessels so that the clot can move and go into something less dangerous. Um, it's not your brain. It's not your brain or your heart. Um, yeah. But no, they would do. They would do a, a like heavy dose, like injectable heparin. Okay. Uh, or warfarin, which is rat poison. Yeah, rat poison is blood thinner. 
basically the rats bleed to death right, internally. Right. Uh, very cruel way That's of getting sad. rid of them. Uh, and then your dog goes and eats some of those rats, or your cat eats a couple of the mice that have it, and then and then they start bleeding. To I death. I used to like I I really don't like bugs for anybody who knows me I've always been scared of bugs and spiders but I I don't want to put poison around my house too because I always think like oh well if I'm killing spiders with this poison and then you're having birds eat the bugs or you know like little rats eat the bugs and then the rats get sick and they die and then something bigger eats the rats and it just right except those poisons are insecticides they kill insects yeah they don't hurt us to a point i mean if a dog were to eat a a like a raid ant trap they do get get sick sick. uh it doesn't kill them usually uh and the treatment is very very simple they just get an injection of atropine um but it is a neurotransmitter inhibitor and these neurotransmitters, these, these neurological chemicals that transmit nerve signals, are extremely abundant in insects. Mm. Uh, acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. Mm. Um, I'm a nerd. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why I whisper it like it's any big surprise. It's uh, still just like, it always seems so cruel. But oh, I, it totally is. I also like really don't like bugs. So I've, I've started like all of the the Dr. Google recommendations of putting peppermint oil around your house and things like that, that I feel like really doesn't work, but I'm just so like- Makes it smell nice. <laughs> and like cayenne pepper and stuff, because I just, I like don't wanna kill them. I just wanna scare them off, you know? A bug yeah. in my house is always very interesting mm. the process it bugs you anyways <laughs> uh-huh. um so yeah that's about it uh ladies and gentlemen for this current update um this was more just you and me chit-chatting and let's not tell the boys my sons your okay. brothers about this and let's see if them or any of my family members one say anything go oh my god i listened to that podcast or two get to this point let's see if they listen 45 minutes in (laughs) to say hey i told you so so guys if you're listening at this point you need to say to me uh daddy you need a new hip or son you need a new hip you got to say that phrase and that'll be the it's like tzitzi fly that'll be the secret code word that yes i listened to the entire thing so how many do you think will say it oh uh, I think the over under is zero. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I think the over under is one. Maybe, is it gonna be under <laughs> like maybe uh, one of the boys? I know I Nicholas know. listens. I yeah, don't I think Brandon does, but Nick. he's super busy. Who knows? We'll see. Now the title may the the title may sort of throw some of them onto the scent. But we'll see. Anyways, so everyone, thank you for listening. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Emily? This always turns into um, the Dr. Cliff podcast on the Dr. Cliff podcast. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, so everyone check us out on Instagram, youtube.com slash drcliff. Uh, our new Patreon page where you can do monthly Yay. support to help us in our animal rescue work. And as thank yous, you get exclusive behind the scenes video content of a bunch of our cool rescues 
uh, like some really interesting sort of blogs or vlogs that we do video blogs, um, as well as like Q&A sessions and merchandise and other cool swag and and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah, that's about it. And thank you for listening. And we will do this again before the big D-Day where they pull out the saws and the chisels and the hammers. Wow. Oh, and I'll post my x-rays up on... uh, Instagram soon. I wish I could watch <laughs> the <Yeah>. surgery. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, that would be so cool. Huh. I don't know. I'll see what the options are. It might be a surgical operating sort of room where you can uh, you can sit above. Uh, yeah, just I, don't I really drop a that. junior mint into, into my incision <laughs> like Kramer did on Seinfeld. Uh, he dropped a junior mint down into... The, sur- the patient's belly well during the exploratory, but it cured him. Fresh breath is a part of your life. Fresh <laughs> breath is a part of my life. Thank you, Anthony Michael Hall, for playing the geek in Breakfast Club. Fresh breath is a part of my life. Um, yeah, that was a great movie. Uh, you say it's your birthday. My birthday too, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you very much. And that's about it, right? I think so. All right. Be kind to animals. Bye. Peace. (laughs)